0: Meet Mr. Frisco, a realtor selling residential real estate in Frisco and far north Dallas. As a former professional athlete, track and field, and strength and conditioning coach, Mr. Frisco immigrated to the USA 20 years ago with $50 in his pocket, a suitcase, and zero English to pursue the American dream and build a successful real estate business. Hardworking, persistent, customer service and detail-oriented, Mr. Frisco strives to secure a smooth closing on his client's biggest investment, their home. He puts his experience and knowledge to serve his clients the best way possible. Building his business by referral allows him to maintain relationships with his clients and serve them even after the transaction is closed. This is Frisco Realty News with Mr. Frisco.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Mr. Frisco Real Estate Show. 2021 was a tough year for many Americans with all uncertainty about COVID, rising inflation and consumer prices, but for the real estate owners and investors, we certainly can't say the same. The home prices in, in 2021 have skyrocketed and the sellers have been gaining a lot of equity. 2021 is almost behind us, so let's take a look at how the housing market will look in 2022. I hope this will help you make an educated decision about your most valuable investment and your investment during the next year. So how is market inventory poised to recover? According to the different trends, after the tight inventory of 2021, this year shows a science of meaningful recovery. New real estate listings rose about in 2021. If this trend continues, expect more properties to hit the market in 2022. Home values are expected to rise slower in 2022, which may make the market a little better for buyers than the previous year. However, despite these smaller price gains, the market in most cities will still continue to favor sellers. Housing is shifting toward smaller homes as the share of homes between 750 and 1,750 square feet has increased about 7% from 2020. This could be good news for uh, millennials uh, looking to purchase a starter home. So growth in starter home listings uh, is expected. The 2021 rise in remote work led to many Americans moving to the suburbs. However, many home buyers are looking to live in the city again. Housing industry data reveals online searches for urban properties has surged. Additional data shows that the urban exodus has slowed considerably and cities are growing again. So cities are making a comeback. With mortgage rates near all-time lows, buying now may mean uh, looking in a very low interest rate. While home prices are high, the low interest rates make it much more affordable time to buy a higher priced home. More information about the interest rates and uh, what's going on in the mortgage business uh, will provide my uh, guest today, Brett Sampson, of Berkshire Landing, just in a minute. <music> How fiscal compares to the national average? Fiscal market is the hottest in the country. While the inventory is expected to begin to recover as well, and market is expected to cool down, I still expect a strong seller's market with multiple offers. The only difference will be um, instead of 15, 20 offers, there will be 5, 10, for example, and the prices will not climb that steep so here this uh mr samson brett Sampson, uh berkshire landing um glad to have you here as a guest it's first my
0: pleasure thanks victor
1: um so let's start first with um brief intro to on your company so what uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: when did you start it how did you start it and by the way berkshire
0: so what people that you related to uh, yeah yeah i get that question a lot yeah, yeah it's funny so I got into the mortgage industry in around the year 2000 and 2008 I started uh, Berkshire and that was before Berkshire Hathaway decided to get into the real estate business, at least in a big way, because you didn't see PenFed or or Berkshire as a realtor brokerage, right? So, and I did it because I liked the name. I, you know, I actually read a biography on, on uh, Buffett and I just said well I'm gonna I'm gonna call it Berkshire lending (laughs) 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 I keep waiting for that call you know hey we want our name back uh here's a million dollars or something like that right but I've never gotten that call anyway uh so that's what I did and then now you're right uh people I, I would say at least once a week ask me if I'm affiliated with Berkshire Hathaway right so I just tell them the funny story and <laughs> and move along, right? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, how long have you been uh, in the business,
1: and how how did you
0: um, yeah start your yeah, yeah. so, um, company? In 2000, you know, that those first eight years I was in the business, uh, the mortgage industry was kind of uh, the wild west uh, in a way. You didn't. There were a lot of people. Their second job, part time job, was being a loan officer, right? <laughs> You, you mean you'd be at the airport and the, the person says, hey, I do loans too, right? But they work at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the industry back then. Uh, and when you came in, uh, those were the, the, the subprime was, was going on then too. And then 2008 happened and you had to have, have pass pretty hard tests. I mean, I've had loan officers take that thing four times and they still don't pass it. So... Uh, it kind of weeded out all the people that did it part-time, and it just left the professionals, which is the way you want it if you're trying to get a mortgage, right? You, you want to get one from a professional, not somebody that it's a part-time job. So uh, that happened in 2008. Uh, they passed Frank Dodd, and they instituted the testing. And so now that's just the way our industry is. You have to do continuing education and pass tests test to get into the, the business.
1: Great. Okay so uh, well uh, this is uh, this is the topic of uh, of each year uh, we have been uh, you know talking about uh, interest rates for years right. uh, probably we have been waiting to increase these interest rates for probably the last 10 years and yeah. they never got up or yeah. significantly up right what uh, what do you think uh, is going to happen next uh, year in 2022 your prediction
0: well I think they will rise. You know, it's interesting, your question, because the real way mortgage rates are governed and the pricing on mortgage rates is all mortgage companies, all banks, when they originate mortgages, eventually they have to bundle them up and sell them as mortgage-backed securities to Wall Street. And even though they're traded on the stock market, they behave and they're treated like bonds in a way, because the the buyers of these mortgage-backed securities, they want a steady, safe rate of return, right? So the price that Wall Street is willing to pay for those mortgage-backed securities ultimately sets the price for mortgage rates. People get excited when the Fed announces they're going to increase their lending rate, but that is the lending rate they charge to banks for overnight loans. Ultimately, it does kind of bleed into our whole economy, and the rates tend to respond to that. But the real, the real driver of rates is mortgage-backed securities. Um, but really, that's a two-part question for the consumer because... Yes, me as a mortgage, and being in the mortgage industry, our rates, we all use the same market. There's no company that has a separate market with super good rates, right? We all use the same market. So, having said that, uh, if a consumer is rate shopping, the loan officer at whatever mortgage company they're talking to can also control their rate. So... The higher the mortgage loan officer charges for the rate, the more money his company or he makes on the backside of the rate. It's kind of like buying a car. You never know what they make on the rate. It's the same in the mortgage industry, right? (laughs) So as a consumer, the only way you can safely shop and know you're getting a good deal is to get at least three quotes, try to do them on the same day, because the rate market does fluctuate. If you get a quote today and you get another one two weeks from now, they're probably gonna be different. I mean, it won't be dramatically different, but it could vary, an eighth of a point, a quarter of a point, depending on what the market's doing. right? So, and when you shop, I would tell my loan officer, hey, I'm I'm shopping for rates right now, so just be aware of that when you quote me out, because, you know, it's the only way really as a consumer to ensure that you're going to get some honest, good rates to let the guy know you're shopping.
1: So it looks like uh, two retail stores, two grocery stores, buy one the same product of one the same warehouse but sell them on different price. Is that kind of correct?
0: Yes. Uh, in a way, it's like... Uh, You know, Walmart versus Target, it's just, uh, that happens at the wholesale level, too. So, we, uh, I'm, you know, Berkshire is a retail mortgage company. We deal directly with consumers. But there are also wholesale mortgage companies that deal with people like us and other mortgage companies, right? They are wholesalers, and they, we, we get funds from them to fund our mortgages. So, um if depending on the workload of that particular wholesaler this isn't much the case now because they're all wanting the business right but when the market is thick and heavy and loans are going some companies if their business gets too high they can't provide good service they're slow and if your underwriting turn times are slow especially on purchase business that's like death in our industry right so they will purposely increase their wholesale rates to reduce the amount of business that they receive. I've seen this many times. And sometimes it's just on government stuff. Maybe those government underwriters are just inundated and they have stacks of files on their desk. So it, it sounds counterintuitive, but that's what they do. And they control their flow of business by controlling their wholesale rates. And if they want to turn on the spigot they lower the rates and then they'll start getting more loans yeah (laughs) (laughs) because people like me shop the wholesalers for the best rates yeah you know because company a might have the best rate today but next week they might not have that yeah
1: uh i know that um, the lending process is kind of complicated um and not many people know what's going on on the backside, you right. know, uh, they, but they want to get it done, okay? This is what my buyers want, to yeah. close on time and, you know, to be approved on time right. and, you know, the thing. But behind you, there are people on the backstage that they proceeding, processing the loan and just short because it's probably – it's gonna take time to explain the entire process, but yes. how, the, how it works on the back stage, how the, the processing, the loan works. Right.
0: <clears throat> so there's work that we do. Uh, I'll just give you the Reader's Digest version, right? So somebody is buying a house, they get pre-qualified or pre-approved for a loan, and we bring them in and uh, they find a house, And now you have a contract, and now the loan has to happen, right? So we will have already gotten all of their personal data, their driver's license, social, pay stubs. If they're self-employed, we get tax returns and so on. So you already have that. You've already kind of pre-underwritten the file at our office. And in our office, it's me, and I have my loan partner, which helps me with the loan process. And then uh, we have a processor. So once we get the file set up, uh, we get all the supporting docs in place, we get the loan docs signed, Uh, the loan docs meaning the RESPA package, which stands for Real Estate Protection Act. It's just the loan package. It's what the government has us put in all all the disclosures in a loan package. Once that's signed, that's handed off to the processor. So the processor's job is to take all that, submit it to whatever underwriter we, we have, and then uh, shepherd that file through the underwriting process. If the underwriter wants, has conditions, it's her job to get those conditions. And then uh, once you get it clear to close, so when you submit a loan, you'll get a, what's called a conditional approval usually. And that means the underwriter has looked at the file and she says, this loan is approved, but I wanna see this list of stuff in here before we close. So those are your conditions. And oftentimes those conditions have nothing to do with the borrower, they may be an insurance or a title condition, you know. Uh, And then uh, she takes it through, once you get it clear to close, she arranges the funding of the loan with uh, our wholesale bank. Uh, We we have a wholesale line of credit, we fund our own loans. And then uh, closing is set and we send the wire over for the money and they sign their paperwork and then they own a house and have a mortgage on the house <laughs> that, and they got the key Yeah, they, they did <laughs> <laughs> and they're That's they're good. very happy usually <laughs> <laughs> that must be. Yeah. yeah
1: i know I, I know it is um you know i always say to my clients that you guys are the most important uh important part of the process because Uh, If they're not approved for a loan and uh, they go out to see houses, it's like uh, you go to uh, Macy's to buy uh, something and uh, you don't have a still
0: credit card or money cash. Uh, So, yeah, you know, the the one thing I see people, uh, I would say people need to know is they need to have an understanding of exactly how much cash is going to come out of their pocket or be required at closing because it's more than just a down payment usually. There's, there's really three sets of funds or money that is due at closing. You have your down payment, you have closing costs, and then you have prepaid taxes and insurance. So when you add, all, when you add closing costs to prepaid taxes and insurance, assuming there's an escrowed loan, a lot of times the prepaids and the closing costs come close to your down payment if, you're not, if you don't have a big down payment. So if you think you're putting down 3% and, and they, you end up needing 5 or 6% for all this, this stuff, the extra, you know. Um, and when I say closing costs, I'm talking about closing costs from everyone, not just the mortgage company. There's appraisal, there's title fees, there's survey, you know. There's, there's a bunch of people in the pot there. So they need to have, and their LO should go over that with them because they, the last thing you want to do is go through all of that, and only to find out at the end you don't have enough funds available to close. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've seen it many times, <laughs> and uh, they just, uh, they need to make sure they have an understanding of that.
1: Yeah, I always explain them, but uh, I always send them to the lender to determine the funds you yeah. need to close, and to break them down and uh, talk to them. But yeah, that's great, uh, yeah. and uh, that's great you do that. Uh, So, um, another topic is credit scores. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My credit card, I had 900 points credit score. And then, oh man, I have like a, you know, 600 or something. I mean, uh, where where does it come? Where does difference come? Because consumer thinks that they have a higher
0: credit score and suddenly it shows up that they have 50 points lower. Well... You know, it's funny you say that because a lot of people think they have poor credit and they really don't. They have, enough, they have good enough credit to buy a home. But I would, uh, I would tell anybody thinking about buying or refinancing a home to get a credit pulled from a mortgage company. We can do what's called a soft pull. Uh, people don't want their credit pulled because it creates an inquiry on their credit report. And inquiries, if you get enough of them, and it doesn't take much, it can affect your credit score. Because that means you're out there applying for credit, right? But we can do what's called a soft pull. It allows us to peek at your scores and your trade lines without creating an inquiry. But the reason I say you need to have a mortgage company pull it is because the consumer-based sites that you hear, you know, Equifax says my thing is this, or Credit Karma, like you said they have a different algorithm on how they calculate their scores. Those consumer sites are usually off. Unfortunately, they're usually off on the high side. And the mortgage scores tend to be a little bit lower. Not always, but usually they tend to be a little bit lower. So if you're thinking about a mortgage, you definitely want to talk to or have a mortgage company pull pull your credit because then you'll know what your mortgage scores are. Now to answer your other question, it's a broad range of mortgages available still for credit from a credit score perspective. Now, let's start with a very awesome credit, right? Great credit. 800 scores, mid-700s, down to low 700s. I believe uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, their, their pricing is tiered. One of the tiers is based on credit scores, right? So the worse credit, you're going to get worse rates. The better the credit, you're going to get better rates. I think you need a 740 before there are no more rate hits for credit with Fannie Mae. Uh, in fact, uh, I was looking at the rate sheet last week, and it was 740. But So what that means is if you have under 740, there's a tiny little penalty for, for having a score under that. And it usually goes in about 20-point increments down. So... 740 to 720 and so on. Um, And then to stay in the conforming range, the conventional loans, you can go all the way down to 620 right now. Um, That's for purchase loan, cash out loans. Um, Below that, it's, you're, it's, you're going to have to do some other type of mortgages. You know, we don't have that many mortgages in the marketplace, really. Uh, there's not that many products, and we all sell the same products. So there's the three government uh, loans. When I say government, it government-insured government loans, there's VA, FHA, and USDA, right? So those uh, are a little more flexible on scores and debt-to-income ratios. For instance, FHA, you can have a score at 580 and still get they're down payment at 3.5% down, right? Now, you have to we have to run it through the automated engine and get an approval, but I see those approvals all the time at, in, in below 600. You can even get an FHA loan below 580 score, but you're gonna have to put down 10% and you'll need an, an automated approval or a, if it's a manual underwriting, it'll go. But um, then VA, uh, USDA, you can have lower scores, with those, but uh, the conventional loans, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, you're going to need a 620 and up, and then the jumbos, you need higher than that. So, and then there's the non QM market, which is, I want to say it's like subprime in the old days, but it's not really, because uh, you, although they will, you'll be surprised, they still don't do. There's not very many that do the really low scores, even on non QM. Um but I do have some if you have a significant down payment, when i meaning you know, thirty, forty percent down, you can you can have a five hundred credit score and get a mortgage with that, but you you're gonna have a high rate and uh right. and a high down payment. So
1: yeah, talking about uh products um what else do you have as a product that you can, let's say, for investors, for example, mm-hmm. and investment mm-hmm. homes, mm-hmm. or a lot of people are looking now for investments and buy investment homes? Do you have anything that is um, a yeah, good absolutely. product
0: for them? Right. So <clears throat> there's two ways to approach that uh, from the mortgage industry perspective. You, you have your Fannie Mae. Uh, you can own up to 10 properties. They have a program. uh, You can own up to 10 properties and still get their rates. If you can qualify for Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, you should do it because the rates are much better. They're usually, you know, 30-year fixed loans unless you want a lower lower term. Um, If for some reason you can't or don't want to go for one of those products, maybe you own a bunch more properties than their max limit, Maybe there's something you can't quite uh, provide tax returns. Maybe there's not. you took a lot of loss last year and, and you didn't show a lot of income, maybe. There are other products available. In fact, uh, I would say the most popular product from an investment standpoint is the DSCR loans, which is debt service coverage loans. And what that means is <clears throat> the only income that they care about is the income the property generates from its rent. So either the property is currently rented or your intention is to rent it out, correct? So they will, they will either take the current rent payment or the appraiser will, will estimate what the house is gonna rent for. And as long as that covers the mortgage payment, the full PITI mortgage payment, uh, you're good to go on income. So then all you need is a credit score, And really, you don't have to have great credit for that, but the better your credit, the better the rate's going to be. So I've been doing more of those because, I mean, the appeal is obvious, right? You don't have to provide any income documentation. All you need to do is fill out an app, and uh, providing you qualify credit-wise and providing you have the down payment. Uh, But I will say DSCR loans are only for non-owner-occupied properties. They're only for investment properties. And the down, down payment is? Depending on the credit score, uh, you can go as low as 10% on those. I have a 10% option. Really? That's good. <laughs> but the worse your score, the more you're going to put down.
1: That's nice.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really amazing. And the rates uh, on those products, you would be surprised. If your credit's good, you can still get rates in the threes. I mean, mid threes, low threes. Um, but if the credit is a little dicey, the rate would go up, of course. Great. Okay.
1: Well, um, we're talking about, uh, you were talking about uh, conditional approval, and, and that's a part of the process. Uh, right. But a lot of people, they think that if they have the letter in their hand, per approval letter, mm-hmm. they already are approved and all is done. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't work like that always. Uh, no. So, um, can you explain what is the difference between um, qualification pre-approval and conditional approval
0: sure <clears throat> so a prequal is just uh, someone fills out an application they provide their income and asset docs and you kind of uh, the loan officer in most pla- in most offices would be the one to look at everything and say yes we can get a loan for this person uh, you run their credit you calculate their debt to income ratio. You make sure they have enough funds for the down payment and whatever else they're going to need, and then that's called a pre-qualification. There's no underwriting per se; it's underwritten by the LO basically. So, <clears throat> the obvious danger there is if the LO did not do a good job or something, something's off. Uh, Just
1: like LO is the oh loan officer, Lawn officer yes. Okay. <laughs> Yes. Uh, uh, Right. (laughs) It's
0: an acronym for, um, if they didn't do a good job, uh, the, the borrower takes his letter, he goes out, he finds a house, he puts earnest money down on the house and then they get started with the loan process only to find out for some reason, the guy doesn't qualify. Right. So that's an obvious danger. The best scenario, if you, if you can, if you, you know, if you can arrange it, is to do what's called a to-be-determined approval, which is also called a pre-approval. So you, you gather all their stuff, uh, and you submit it to an actual underwriter, and the underwriter looks at the file. It's run through automated. The, the entire underwriting process is done except for the appraisal. And uh, it comes out approved, pending appraisal. Uh, and that's the best way to do it. You know, And if there's conditions, you go ahead and have those conditions ready to go. But then you can go in, you can buy a house. As soon as that appraisal comes in, you can close. And it's appealing to the sellers, to the realtors, and to the buyers. Exactly. So it's the best way to go for sure.
1: Yes, yes, I agree with that, especially in this competitive market now. It is just uh, crucial to have this uh, pre-approval uh, yeah. and go through this uh, to-be-determined process. Yep. absolutely. That's 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 wonderful. Uh, and um, discount points. Uh, this mm-hmm. is kind of tricky part uh, when somebody is shopping for uh, for a loan because uh, they're coming and say, oh, "I got like a one point less than the somebody else." Right. Uh, where is the tricky part here?
0: Yeah. Well, the first thing is, as a consumer, um, you should really study the, the whatever the the loan estimate or the fee worksheet, whatever they're giving you, the loan officer gives you, and look and see if they've included any discount points because a lot of lenders will put those on without even – you know, going over it with the borrower, they'll just, uh, they'll give them a sheet of paper, the loan estimate with the discount points on there, but they don't say, hey, we're buying your rate down so we can beat everybody else, right? So the guy's paying for a buy-down, but he, sometimes they're just not aware of it. He just thinks he got a great deal on a rate. (laughs) You look at the (laughs) closing statement. Oh my God, they
1: have a great great closing. Yeah, Yeah.
0: (laughs) but let me just explain what a discount point is. So in the mortgage industry, we have every day there's a par rate and that's the lowest rate a mortgage company can give a buyer without paying the extra to buy the rate down. Right. So if you're interested in what discount points look like and a discount point, by the way, is just 1% of the loan amount or if it's a fraction of a discount point, it would be less than that or, or more if you want more than one. But, um, It depends on a lot of things on why you would want one. You know, if you're you're gonna be in the house long-term, then it might definitely be worth it. Um, Because if you can do the math and it pays for itself in two or three years, it's probably a good thing to do. If you're a short-term stay at a house, you know you're gonna be in and out uh, with three to five years. I'm not sure if that makes sense to have a discount point, but um, the best thing you can do is just get options, right? You, you tell your loan officer, I would like uh, uh, to see your lowest rate, and then I would like to see what the rate looks like with one discount point and just see what the difference is. The thing, uh, you don't get a lot of bang for your buck on discount points. I mean, if you spend one discount point, you don't get a one-point reduction in your interest rate. You might get a, a quarter point or an eighth of a point. You know, it's not as big of a bang of a buck. But if you factor that savings over a number of years, it can make a big difference, you know. So the best thing you can do is just get a few quotes and then do the math and maybe have the loan officer do the math with you and just see if it makes sense for your situation. So that's, that's what right. I would recommend. Yeah. Okay.
1: Anything <laughs> else that I missed?
0: Mortgage-wise? Uh, we talked about most of the, the big stuff. I would say if you're thinking about it, just have an LO look at your your situation, you know, uh, because you might think you're ready to go, um, but there's something in your credit that needs fixing, right? So if you look at it now, the loan officer can talk to you about it and you have time to, to fix whatever's wrong. So maybe two or three months from now, you're ready to go. So. But you wouldn't know that unless you look at it now so that's which what actually would. brings the question and the topic about
1: um about the self-employee Yes. Bef- i always advise them to talk to the loan officer before they file next year taxes if they and their cpa before um if they intend to buy a house. Mm-hmm.
0: That's because, true.
1: Uh, because situation is
0: different there, you can explain. Okay. Well, self-employed people, and I'm one of them. Um, they tend to uh, maximize their deductions, so to speak. So they don't. They obviously show as little income as they legally can. Um, but sometimes you need more income if you're buying a house, right? Uh, so that's a good idea to have a loan officer look at that because the debt-to-income ratio is pretty easy to calculate, uh, but, you know, any consumer can do it. There's, There's a front ratio and a back ratio. The front ratio is the full PITI payment divided by your gross income. The back ratio is the mortgage payment plus the minimum payment, recurring payment that shows up on your credit every month, plus maybe child support if you have that. Uh, divided by your gross income. And that number ideally should be less than 50%. If it's over 50%, you're going to be limited in your options. Okay. Wow. Yeah.
1: Great, yeah. The self-employed, be careful when you buy a house. Yeah. Yeah. A all uh, And, um, well, thank you very much. And I'm going to show everyone uh, my Christmas uh, gift. <laughs> uh, density. Yeah. So uh, Brett is a writer as well. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you You wrote that book.
0: (laughs) Well, it's a funny thing. You know, uh, as we get older, uh, we kind of learn about ourselves hopefully, right? So one of the things I discovered as I became an adult is my life worked better if I always had a creative outlet, you know? it's like the wheel of life analogy. Have you ever heard that analogy? I'll tell it real quick, super quick, right? So a bicycle wheel. And the spokes of that wheel are comprised of things you have to do and things you like to do. So if you spend all the time on the things you have to do, those spokes are longer, but the ones you like to do, those spokes are shorter and your wheel won't turn right. So you have to spend some time on things you enjoy that don't necessarily make you money, but so that's why I do that and, and I swear it works because when I am involved in something creative like that, I have more energy in other parts of my life to do the, the business work, you know, the mortgage company work. So it works for me. Everybody's different, but it works for me.
1: It's about to have the right balance to find the right balance. Exactly. Yep, yep. that's, yep. that's it. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. I hope you it. Oh, well, uh, and it, where you can buy that on amazon Amazon, oh, on amazon. Yeah. Oh, okay well uh <coughs> thank you very much brett for being my guest and uh, thanks for uh, the uh, great info
0: ah it's my pleasure
1: i enjoyed it thanks it's uh it's just a time for our Frisco news uh everybody in Frisco, i hope know that uh, pga headquarters are uh moving in uh it got delayed a little bit um uh, by COVID, uh, it's um, on the southwest corner of Dallas-North uh, Toway and uh, Highway uh, 380. Uh, and as I said, construction was delayed uh, by COVID, um, but uh, the construction is on a full speed now. <clears throat> the omni PGA Free School will uh, open in uh, 2023, Just in time to host uh, the uh, KitchenAid Senior PGA uh, Championship, Um, the site is already scheduled for hosting 26 championships through 2034, uh, including the PGA Championship and a KPMG Women's uh, PGA Championship. So uh, with this, uh, just, uh, I'm going to wrap up my show, but uh, just uh, this is a big investment in, uh, in free school. We're going to follow how the construction go. Uh, happy holidays uh, to everyone, and I look forward to seeing you on my next show in January.